on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. Jesus got up, he went up on a mountain, he took his 12 disciples to him, and he talked about the kingdom of God and how do we live the kingdom of God in between the kingdom's coming and the kingdom of the world. How do we live in that space? And we've been going through, and now we're going to deal with a very interesting topic, the topic of anxiety. So let me read this text, and then we will talk about the topic of anxiety. This is Matthew 6, 25-33. It can be found on the inside of your bulletin. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And uh, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The word of the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about anxiety. You familiar with that topic? <laughs> anxiety, we all deal with it at some time or another. In fact, maybe you're dealing with anxiety right now. And so I thought to myself that we would take a little anxiety test. It's called by psychologists the Holmes-Ray stress test. Some of you may have taken a physical stress test. This is an emotional stress test. And apparently, if, you know, you're supposed to rate your score, and if you've got enough of these, you're really stressed out. In other words, get to a hospital because you're about to blow up. And then there's low-level stress, and then there's, hey, not too much stress. And I have experienced all of them in my life. And if you haven't yet, you will look forward to that. So take a look here. We've got some very interesting things. For instance, a jail term, if you are serving a jail term, 63 points. So if you're going in the play, 63. Get ready for it. Marriage, now it's interesting, it just says marriage in general, 50 points. In other words, if you're married, just add 50, okay? Yeah, very close. Fired from work, 47 points. Change in church activities, 19 points. If we go with another song, boom, 19. Change in church activities. Mortgage or loan under $10,000. I would love a mortgage or loan under ten. I would put a negative 18 for that. Instead, 18. Vacation, 13. Christmas season, 12. It goes on and on and on. We all experience anxiety. But some people have said that our generation at this time is living in the age of anxiety. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders now affect 18% of the adult population of the United States, or about 40 million people. You know, it seems that the stress in our life is greater than it's ever been. I mean, who ever worried about somebody walking into a theater with a gun? Or on a college campus, life seems unsettling. 
Indeed, our economic position in the once unstoppable United States of America causes us to wonder and examine how fragile our country is. See, when we live with anxiety, our life begins to become small. We become trapped on this internal treadmill of wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. And so in the midst of this, you know, the people that Jesus is speaking to, they were just like us. Even more anxiety, one should say. There were no bank accounts. There was no uh, infrastructure, no social security. And yet Jesus had the gall to stand up and say, do not worry, do not be anxious about your life, your food, your clothing. Indeed, even the base things about your life, don't be anxious about them. What a startling comment. When you think to yourself, how would life change for me if I actually could live that way? If I actually wasn't living with this low level of anxiety running through my brain in the background all the time, sapping my strength, taking away my joy? What if I could look out on the world with hope and encouragement and peace even in the most difficult of times? Well, Jesus says that you should be able to live that way. But his solution is very, very paradoxical. For he says, if you stop fixating on yourself and start fixating on God, you will find peace. If you persist in building your kingdom, you will only add to your anxiety. But if you focus on building his kingdom, you will only add to your peace. Well, this is some big words so we want to break this down and we're going to talk about this. Number one, we need to talk about the cause of our anxiety. What's causing us to be so anxious all the time in this anxious age? The second is we're going to talk about the result of anxiety. How does this uh, anxiousness manifest itself in the way that we choose to live and love? And then finally, we're going to talk about the Lord over anxiety. The one who has the power to put us in the place where we find because if you persist in building your kingdom, you will only add to your anxiety. But if you begin to build God's kingdom, you will only add to your peace. Let's look at point number one, the cause of anxiety. Jesus says at the beginning of this passage, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've always got to look at what came before Jesus is sort of making a, a conclusion statement. If you look in the Bible before, he was talking about things like, do not store up your treasure on the earth because it's perishable, but rather store it up in heaven. Indeed, you can't serve two masters. You're going to have to serve one or the other, possessions or God. And therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Now, the people must have been shocked at hearing this. We need to understand that many people in the audience, the only way they were going to eat that night was by working that day because they were handed their, their wages at the end of the day. So when Jesus says these things, they're shocked. But Jesus begins these very interesting comparisons. He says, look at the birds of the field. They don't labor or toil or bring things into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. See, the people there understood what the harvest meant. That if you didn't harvest, you didn't reap, and so you wouldn't have enough food for the winter. You would starve. But Jesus is saying that even the birds don't do that, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He goes on to talk about the lilies of the field. 
that don't labor or spin, yet they're even more beautiful than Solomon, who was considered the richest king, arrayed in all of his splendor. And it's true, isn't it? When you look at the flowers and the lilies and you see their beauty. And Jesus is saying, these little things, which tomorrow are thrown into the fire, will he not so much more clothe you? Now we have to ask the questions, is Jesus being glib here? You know, don't, don't worry, be happy. Remember that song, Bobby McFerrin? You know, Jimmy Buffett, go grab a beer, find a bar, and just relax. It'll all take care of itself. But Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is talking about something else. He's talking about the attitude of the heart, not the actions necessarily of the hands. See, the word anxiety, if you look at it in the Greek, basically means striving after something, intentness after something. It's actually the same word you would use that if a dog got a scent and it smelled that scent and it became locked on it and it would just go, go, go. I don't know if you've ever walked a dog, but when they get the scent, they're on it. Everything else disappears. That's what anxiety he's talking about. And notice how many times anxiety is used in this passage. It's actually used five times. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Don't strive. Don't put your head down on these particular things. See, he isn't necessarily advocating, don't worry, be happy. He's saying whatever it is that you're working at, put it in its proper perspective. Is it what is going to give you life and protection, or is there something else? You know, it was the psychologist Rollo May in the 1960s that did some very interesting studies on anxiety and fear. He wanted to try to figure out what was the difference between anxiety and fear. And after studying people in situations, he figured out the difference. And this was the analogy that he basically made. He said, if you're walking across the street and all of a sudden you see a car barreling down at you, instantly your adrenaline kicks, you feel the fear, you start running, you move out of the way and the car barely misses you. And you're very, very fearful and then slowly you begin to bring down and you find that See, that's fear. But suppose that after you have jumped off the curb and you've been safe, you go home. And you're struggling with this sense of knowing that your life is fragile. That it's possible that you could have been hit by that car. That all of a sudden there isn't a whole lot of security in your life. And that thought and feeling stays with you. See, that's anxiety. See, fear is external and it's healthy. It's focused on a real threat. But anxiety is dispersed and constant, struggling after things that we don't even know. And so there's a huge difference between fear and anxiety. And what Jesus is saying here is that you are being anxious about the fragility of your life and your attempt to stave off the problems is to protect yourself with perishables. More food, more clothing, more shelter, more things to protect me from a life that I know is fragile. But Jesus in this passage says, do not be anxious because doesn't your heavenly Father take care of you? See, even more being shocked about what Jesus is saying about do not be anxious is more shocked because he called them uh, your heavenly Father. See, nobody called God back then as your heavenly Father. He was God. He was God. He was the great God. Your Father. See, the reason that we cannot 
have to be anxious is because we have someone who is watching over us. See, we have someone who's watching over our life who is not only able to deal with the fragility of our life, but who is willing as well, who looks at us as our Heavenly Father. See, our problem, if you will, is that we live as orphans. We live like we have no father, or that our father can't actually take care of us. And so we're the ones having to watch out for our life. Because it's us or nobody else. It's kill or be killed. It's survival of the fittest. And so even though we have a heavenly father, we live as there is not one. We live as orphans. You know, it's very interesting. We had the opportunity to adopt one of our children, our, our daughter. And, uh, you know, the, the pictures of adoption in the, in the movies are, are so wrong you wouldn't believe it. You know, the little orphan Annie, remember, all she needs is parents. She comes in and life is wonderful and... You know, they go off in the end. It's not anything like that at all. Because the truth of the matter is orphans don't understand what parents are like. See, they've had to live all of their life watching out for themselves. Because people come and people go. And so they're taking care of themselves. And so when we adopted our little girl, it was, it was like uh, throwing her into another universe. Because she was away from where she had established equilibrium with her life. She didn't know whether we were going to be there tomorrow. It was very interesting what my wife did. She would, every night before she would go to bed, she would put some food, a banana, right on her desk, her side table. Because the girl then would know that at the very least I had something when I woke up the next day. See, that's the way we live, isn't it? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know who's going to take care of me. And so I have to take care of myself. But even though there are grown people who are listening to this sermon, Jesus is saying, he's your heavenly father. And won't he be able to take care of you if he can take care of the birds and the lilies? See, right now, if you were to go through that stressor test, everyone would have something on it. Some would have more, some would have less. But the question isn't how much stress I have. The question is not what I'm going through. The question is who I'm going through with it. Is it just myself who I'm counting on? Or is it my Heavenly Father who can deal with whatever situation? There's nothing more beautiful than watching our daughter come along and learn what it means to be a family. See, my, all my other boys, they want something. Where do they go? They come to me. They don't think of anything about it, regardless of how outrageous it is. Because they know that their father is the one who can provide it. See, isn't life more than that? You have to make a decision. If you want a life of peace, is not to live as an orphan. If you are a Christian, God has come to you and he has given you an inheritance. For Jesus says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who ask Him? If you persist in building your kingdom, you will only add to your anxiety. But if you look to the kingdom of your heavenly Father, you will only add to your peace. Well, we've talked a little bit about the source of our anxiety. I want to talk a little bit about the result of our anxiety. Jesus says... Is not life more than the body and more than clothes? 
Well, I don't know, is it? I mean, these people are focused on food and clothes because that's how they have to live. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Life is more than that. There's another plane of existence that you're supposed to be living in that you're not because you're too preoccupied with the base things. There's another world for you. And so Jesus says, look, don't seek after these base things. Don't be anxious for them, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be taken care of. See, we have to understand what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. What exactly is the kingdom of God? Well, it's very simple, actually. The kingdom of God is the place where God is the king. Jesus' entire message when he came as the God-man was this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. If Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, that can only mean that the kingdom of God is not here yet. That the kingdom of God is coming. See, Jesus says, good news. This is good news. The kingdom is coming. You know, you see that statement uh, all the time on the Christmas card. Uh, Peace to men. How does it say? And good, goodwill to men. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not what the scriptures say. It says, peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. God has come and said, there is a new kingdom. And this kingdom is for anyone who would believe that God is the king. And so Jesus is inaugurating this kingdom, this kingdom that comes in him and that will ultimately be consummated when this entire world is reborn into the kingdom of God. And everyone will know who is the king and will live by sight and not faith. And so the question is, why isn't it here yet? Because now is the time for the people to be gathered, to hear the message, to be built up into a spiritual kingdom that will ultimately manifest itself into a physical kingdom. See, if God is your father, if all your chips are on that number, you have an inheritance. So much more than clothes, so much more than a body, so much more than even your life. For even by worrying, can you add a single hour to your life? See, we see here in uh, Peter 1.3 that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. See, we have an inheritance. It is in heaven. We can't see it, but we must trust that it's there. Until then, we have to seek, we have to be ambitious, we have to be anxious, but not for the things of this world, but for the things of God, for the kingdom itself. See, Jesus isn't saying the issue is that you shouldn't seek at all. The issue instead is what you seek. And Jesus right now is establishing his kingdom, his spiritual kingdom, in the hearts of those who desire him. Listen to this quote by Napoleon, the great general that spoke about Jesus Christ. He says, I tell you, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did the creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature. 
And I tell you, all of these were men, and I am a man, a man, but none else is like him. Jesus Christ was more than a man. I, Napoleon, have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this is necessary that I should be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, and my voice. When I saw men and I spoke to them, I lightened up the flame of self-devotion. But Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others can satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain, or the hands of his friends, or a father of his children, or the bride of his spouse, or a man or his brother. He asks for the human heart. He will have it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is granted. For in defiance of time and space, the soul of man, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. The kingdom of God is advancing in the hearts of those who would choose to follow Him, to make Him their inheritance. And one day that which is indeed inside will be manifested outside at the coming of the King. And so we must seek first, if we desire that kingdom, the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Three ideas. Number one, participate in devotion. See, we have to make a decision who our hearts and our hands will be devoted to. Either the kingdom of things or the kingdom of God. We must participate in proclamation. We are part of the army of God. And you know what? An army marches on its stomach. God says, you know what? I will take care of you. Wherever I put you, whatever job, whatever situation, that is the place that I have put you to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so, in the space of your life and time, where do you proclaim? How do you think about this inheritance? I heard an interesting story. This was in the USA Today. A Minnesota man discovers that he's a Nigerian prince. I discovered this as well, that I'm a Nigerian prince. In Minnesota, Marty Johnson is a mortgage broker and a father of two. In Nigeria, he's a prince next in life to be chief. See, Johnson, 38, was adopted as a child, and he tried to figure out who he was. In, uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, a woman had fallen for a Nigerian who was studying for a master's degree in education, ended up having a child. The, the man had to go back, and she gave up this baby for adoption. But uh, this woman finally contacted her and told her about this man in Nigeria. So he began to search, and he discovered that his father is one of a line of chiefs, who chiefs in the day before central government were so powerful that they could declare war. Johnson said he is now regarded openly by the chief and dozen of other relatives, including three brothers, as the chief's firstborn son. When his birth father dies, Marty Johnson will be known in Orlu, Nigeria as Ude Eke, which means chief. And someday, so will his six-year-old Jacob. The Johnsons are planning to go to Nigeria in December, but they also have a plan to come back. The future Ude Eke, after all, has a job and a mortgage. You see, Marty Johnson got a new vision of his life, a reality of a new identity, a reality of a new inheritance. And though he lives as a mortgage banker now and as a father, he knows what is coming. See, he lives in this world, but he lives for that world. See, we have a new inheritance, 
a new kingdom, and a new future. So where is your kingdom? The only way we can seek and find this kingdom is through faith. It's a kingdom of the heart. It will ultimately be manifest in the kingdom of the world. You too can participate in the annexation of the empire of Christ as you proclaim the word and people's hearts are set aflame. What a tremendous responsibility and privilege that we have to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world. Well, this brings me to my final point. If we've talked about the source of anxiety, the results of anxiety, we need to talk about the Lord who's over anxiety. You know, it's easy to sit here on Sunday, isn't it, and to talk about these things. And then we go out into the world and we watch our TV and we read our magazine and we see all the trappings and things of this world that look so beautiful. Inevitably, we feel our heart being drawn back to the things of this world that we can use to protect ourselves from the anxiety of life. How do we stop living that way? How do we stop being prisoners of our own designs, even knowing our life, and yet not being able to live in it in this world? The only way we can do this is by this way, that the King has come into our hearts. You see, if you are a believer in Christ, if Jesus is your King, Jesus has set up residence, a kingdom already in your heart. And Jesus has been given authority over all things. But this king, the one who was crowned by his father, won the battle, not by force, but by suffering. You know, the question of how much you love someone is how much, how far you're willing to go. You know, one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. Remember that movie, The Ryan Brothers? There were three of them. Two died. They discovered another one was deep in Germany. And so a group of troops is dispatched to go find Private Ryan to bring him home. And this group, led by the captain, uh, Tom Hanks, goes behind in enemy lines and, and is being shot at all the time. And everyone wants to turn back, but Hanks keeps on going because he knows his duty. And at the very end, they have the battle, remember? And Hanks couldn't pull uh, Matt Damon, who was Private Ryan, out. And what does Hanks do? In protecting Private Ryan, he falls down and he's shot. At the very end, while well, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, tank is coming, and you know, the, the people come to the rescue, more forces, he turns to Private Ryan. And he basically says to him, use this. Remember the love that we had for you. See, how far are you willing to go to rescue someone? You know, Jesus, the scriptures say, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly do that. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? See, how can we trust in a kingdom that we've never seen? Because the king has spanned earth and heaven, and he's brought the kingdom in our hearts. The reason that we don't have to worry about food and drink is because he didn't have any. The reason we don't have to worry about clothes is because when he was crucified on the cross, that was the only thing he had left, and that too was taken away from him. 
See, the reason we don't have to worry about God forsaking us is because first God forsake Jesus Christ. All of the fears and anxieties of life were put on Him. And yet Jesus, at the very end of His life, said, It is finished. I have ransomed my people. And the resurrected God has come in the Holy Spirit to take up residence in the hearts of those who love Him. Jesus was willing to die to bring you into the kingdom. Are you willing to live for Him? See, we have a king who serves. He serves with love. And he says, serve my king. Come, because I'm not only your king, I am your heavenly father. So I finish with this thought. Are you a Christian? Has your heart been annexed by the empire of Christ? Or do you continue to be anxious, chasing after the most little of things, because you're wondering if that banana is going to be there for you in the morning. Trust the one who died for you. Who can take care of all the little things. And can clothe you just like Solomon in all of his people. Are you a Christian? You have a king. You have a father who watches over you. But maybe you feel the pull of the world grabbing at you, tantalizing you, saying, I'm the one who can give you peace. Give your heart to me. See, in order to live in this beauty and this comfort and the safety of life, we have to radically realign our life from the kingdom of things to the kingdom of God. So what's in your way? Is it your car? Sell it. Is it your wardrobe? Get rid of it. If it's a bad relationship, fix it. Or if you need to get rid of it, get rid of it. Whatever you've got to get rid of, get rid of. Because the kingdom that you're looking for is the kingdom of heaven. And the one that you've always been looking for is your heavenly father. If you persist in building your kingdom, I can tell you this, you'll only have anxiety. But if you turn your heart to building his kingdom and put your inheritance in there, you'll only have to the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter the challenges, the difficulties, even an army encamped against us. We don't have to fear. We don't have to have anxiety because you, Father, are our Heavenly Father. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, are watching over the most minute detail of our life. Lord, you're not calling us to sit on a chair somewhere and do nothing. You're calling us to live in whatever circumstance, but as we live with our eyes and our heart on you. Use us, Lord. Give us devotion for your kingdom. Give us the desire to proclaim your kingdom. And give us the power to provide people who will be annexed to your kingdom. That it may grow and ultimately manifest itself as the true kingdom this world. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.